Join us, friends. Great Scott Spockeye. Do they know what we have in store for them? They will if they tighten up. And don't double dribble. To the Grey Ghost, Spockeye? Exactly, old chum. No time to waste. To the Grey Ghost. We have not a minute to spare. It's showtime, friends. All right, all right, all right. It is the Spa Guy, and it is... Globe Trotting with Shrey. And we are not wishing Cotton was a monkey, but we know that there's a lot of people that are. And if you don't know what that means, that is an analogy, if you will, for this fake world that we live in where people try to pretend like things are something other than they actually are. We're most interested in what really happened in history. And that's there's really nothing more important than what really happened, not what somebody wants to have happened, what actually happened. And I'm looking forward to today's episode, Spy Guy. So today we have uh, uh, Trey introduce our guest. All right. So we have an author of the new, we have the author, co-author of the new book, Elvis and the Colonel, Marshall Terrell. And Marshall, your his name, guys. Well, here he is. Marshall has popped up on screen here. Hey, Marshall. <laughs> but uh, a lot of you Elvis fans uh, have read some of the books that Marshall has written. Marshall, tell, tell him some of the other books that you've written, man. Well, let's see. I'll go chronologically. The first book that I wrote about Elvis, majority of Elvis, was The King, McQueen, and the Love Machine. That was by Barbara Lee. And it was about her romance with Steve, I'm sorry, Elvis Presley, Steve McQueen, and James Aubrey. And those three were all at the same time. So uh, wow. we, we focused on that relationship. And then the second book that I did um, was uh, called Sergeant Presley. Uh, with Spa Guy's good friend, uh, Rex Mansfield and uh, Rex and Elizabeth Mansfield, um, about two, two years in the uh, army. And, and Rex was a, was a wonderful gentleman. Um, and then the, the third book that I did, which I thought was going to be my last Elvis book, was uh, with Sonny West. Uh, that was called Elvis Still Taking Care of Business. That came out in 2007. And I just thought, you know, no more Elvis for me. Not that I was burned out or anything, but I just thought, well, there's really nothing left after that. Because uh, my 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 dream was to do Linda Thompson's book one day, and then she did it, and then it's like, okay, well, that's it. And then um, and then I got introduced to Greg McDonald through Ruth McCartney, and uh, um, and then met with him. He kind of told me the story and the premise of the book, and I went, wow, that's interesting. Colonel Parker is a good guy. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> That's gonna ruffle some feathers. <laughs> oh, we know, we know, Marshall. <laughs> yeah, and and look, I'm a no Colonel, no Elvis believer. I believe that without the Colonel, there was no Elvis. That's right. Yeah, yeah I believe that's fact. And, and I'm a, and I, I told Trey this before. I'm a, I'm a big, big Beatles fan, and I know their history well. They could not have gotten off the ground without Brian Epstein. And That's it's right. the same with Elvis. You need that one guy to to back you, to push you. I mean, Brian Epstein was supplementing their income. He was not taking paychecks for for many a year, maybe two or maybe one or two years. You know, and you, you didn't have any manager like that. They would have broken up and gotten a job. And same same with Elvis. I mean, if, if Colonel Parker didn't have those contacts to lift him out of the regional status into the national star status. I don't think it would have happened. I mean, people can say, well, Elvis had this talent, but yeah, that's true. But you, you don't, what you don't understand is the people behind him and the people behind the scenes that make it happen. In addition to 
the luck that you've got to have too. Mm -hmm. Luck always plays a part in it. Oh, you're right. And Colonel Parker though, man, Colonel Parker made Elvis some money. He made, uh, Elvis had the talent and everything, of course, but he'd have been taken advantage of. He'd have been taken advantage of at some point, not with Colonel Parker on your side. Colonel Parker got the last cent out of the people that he wanted or they didn't get Elvis. Right. So you were going to either pay us or you're not going to get my boy. That's as simple as that. And I'll be at the hotel room when you want to make a decision. Mm-hmm. That's in your book. There's a story in your book kind of like that. But going back to your Sonny West book, uh, uh, when I first became an Elvis fan, Marshall, I remember I played basketball uh, in college. And after practice, I'd go to Books a Million. And I believe the first book that I started reading on Elvis was your book, Sonny wow. West. That's, That's kind of crazy, man. I like in two, You're right. 2007. I would have been in college in 07. And I was reading that book, man, and it was making me more. I wanted to learn more and more about Elvis Presley because of those stories. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's amazing. Hey, it's led to me and Billy going all across the country filming these story locations and bringing some of these stories to life from the locations. So, man, you you, you play a part of that, Marshall. Well, thank you. You know, I was telling uh, Billy that um, what you guys are doing, I do all the time. Like when I read a book or something. I want to go to that location and just see it for myself. So you guys are bringing to life these things where yeah, they might you might see it in a book, but man, I got to see it for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That way, and I and I watch your videos, and I I totally get what you guys are doing. Well, it's a labor of love, as you know, as you mentioned, it's a labor of love for you. Um, now, uh, something that I will mention that I read in a book was in Scotty Moore's book. And that was the first time that he ever met Elvis and him and Elvis basically came in audition for him at his apartment. And I, I read that and I was like, what did that look like? What was that day? Like, what was it like? I actually found the apartment I filmed inside of it and uh, people still live in it. And I said a real bad part of town, a really dangerous part of town, <laughs> but it really brought the story to life. Then I was able to actually interview Bobby Scotty's, wife at the time that let Elvis in and then she filled in the blanks of the rest of the story. So I just, I love what, what you're talking about, but plus your book, the, um, and this is the book, by the way, Elvis and the Colonel, right? Man, awesome cover. Really, really cool looking cover. And I just bought this by the way, friends on Amazon. So you can get on there and get it, uh, on Amazon. And this is Marshall right here. It was written with Greg McDonald. But the things that that you wrote about with Greg in this book, Trey and I recently went to Palm Springs to see, to do what exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And some of the things are incredible. Trey just put a story out about uh, Greg and Elvis going to a liquor store yep. and dropping the gun on the ground. And that was your story this week, wasn't it, Trey? It was, man. It's, it's being watched by a lot of people. So I yep. think we have a, a viral video, uh, Marshall. Yeah, and 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 the, and I heard you talking to the guy, and I, I think I heard you asking him behind the scenes, "Did you know that story?" And I don't think he did. No. Yeah. They the thing is, your book is going to bring a lot of new stories, like what you were talking about a while ago, Trey. We stayed at Margaritaville, which we had heard that the Memphis Mafia would stay there. Uh, back then, it wasn't Margaritaville. What was it, Trey? It was the. Um, what was it, Marshall? Do you remember? It was. It, w- it wasn't the spa. It was the. Was it the Riviera? Yeah, it was the Riviera. Riviera. Yeah, Riviera. And uh, so we had heard that the Memphis Mafia would stay there uh, when they were in town with Elvis. 
but we had no proof of that. So your book actually even shows that Elvis was there when he was preparing uh, to go uh, on to do his first concerts at the International. Yeah, and see, the strength of that is that Greg, Greg McDonald um, has been an, almost a lifelong um, resident of Palm Springs. And so he still has the wherewithal to know exactly where those old locations are. And Palm Springs is a place that doesn't really knock down buildings, which is nice. They really uh, have a high regard for architecture, as you know. They're big into their mid-century architecture. So a lot of those places still exist. It's just a different tenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Martin, um, man, those mountains and the weather out there, it's, a, it's an interesting place. You told me, though, like 20 years ago, nobody wanted to live there. Or yeah. 30 years well, ago. It's, it's, it's been a place uh, that, that has, whenever a recession hit, it hit that town pretty hard. I've been 2008. Yes. Yeah. And, but, but, but before that, you know, anytime there was any sort of economic woes, Oh, I see. Springs was the kind of place that they got hit pretty hard and you'd have this flux of people. And now I'm going to say in the last 15, 20 years, it has come on to the point where that'll never happen again because it, everybody wants to live there. Wow. And the ho housing is very expensive there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like Phoenix where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to live in warm weather. They, they know that they don't have to live in cold weather anymore and they have mountains, they have hiking and, you know, they have really good weather for eight months out of the year. And, uh, you know, it just it just beats being in the cold. Mm -hmm. We're in the cold right now. We yeah. are in the cold. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, it's going to be 19 in the morning, I heard. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Billy, show, uh, uh, show the audience the back of that book. I like the back of that There's book. Something that it said on the back that I thought was interesting is the artist always wears the white hat. Yeah. And yeah. I... I didn't even know that they were going to do that for the back cover until I got my author's copies. I went, whoa, that's I love so cool. it. Yeah. But that's the Colonel was willing to be the bad guy. Yeah. So Elvis could be the good guy. And even though he wasn't really the bad guy, it takes that parallel or that uh, yin and yang to make something spectacular. Well, and, and the thing is, is that everybody goes, well, where does, um, where does this myth start with the, uh, Colonel Parker was a was a bad guy, and I went well. It started with him. He uh, he created this myth that he was such a bad boy uh, that that when you went into a, a, a negotiating room with him, you know that he came with this heavy duty reputation, which was very smart of him because all he had were his street smarts. He didn't have diplomas on his wall, so it was that reputation, that fearsome reputation. That uh, when he went in to, to negotiate, he had that on his side. He already had half the battle won. So, and of course, then he had the client. So, you know, it, everything was pretty much going to be on the colonel's terms. But unfortunately for him, he was the one that started that myth. Um, and so now it's 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 mine and Greg's job to try and tell people, well, he really wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you know I you and I just did a, a nice uh, interview on my show and and I've been reading some of the comments. Have you s seen some? I have, yeah, fans? yeah. And um, like I, I tell fans, and I believe that that's what you wanted as well is to I want people that hate Colonel Parker to read this. I want people that like the Colonel to read this. But I want everyone to read it with an open mind, Marshall. Isn't that what you would like? Yes, absolutely. And and but but. It's the comments of, I won't read this book regardless because I hate his guts. If you read the book and you still hate his guts, that's fine. But 
you know, uh, I, I would say just just give it a chance and see see if there's another side of the story. Because as a reporter, you're trained to always get the other side of the story. And uh, it's just it's so the, this myth of Colonel Parker was a terrible human being has been so deeply ingrained and reinforced by the Boz Lerman movie that it's really tough for people to move from that position. It fooled Boz to the point where he used that in the movie. <laughs> hey, talking about Boz Lerman, have y'all seen where now he wants to make a uh, TV series of that movie? Ugh. Yeah, I've, I've already wanted to expand it. Unbelievable. But I read something where he, he talked something like he wants to do it in a different style than the movie. So maybe he's watching, uh, watching, <laughs> watching this, Billy. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, uh, Boz, if you if you are watching this interview, just make sure you know your your great research team gets on point. You know, with yeah. The let's let's try to get the history right. So that brings us to a point, uh, Marshall, that I wanted to to bring up is: Did you know the Colonel? No. Did you know Steve McQueen? No. Did you know Elvis? No. Did you know? Uh, well, you did know uh, Sonny. Yes. So how can you write about these people that you didn't know? Well, what you try to do is you 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 try to get a hold of the people that did know him and you try to tell the story not through their eyes but you know you're you're sort of the narrator and you, and and you don't take sides and you let those people fill in the gap. That's what I always try to do um when I write a book. Mm-hmm. But, but in the case of Greg McDonald, you know, some of the comments are well you know, this is this book is written from a point of view. And it's like, well, yes, it's his point of view. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're going to get. So th- there has to be distinguished between a biography and a memoir. And, and Greg's book is a memoir. Okay. Um, but but back to your point about not knowing the person, it's um, I find that there's strength in not knowing the, the person and not even knowing the story. For example, I did a book on uh, evangelist Billy Graham not too long ago with Greg Laurie, and I knew nothing about Billy Graham. And um, I came at it from a completely objective point of view. Um, and I did have a point of view uh, as I read the story and I, as I read other books, you know, he, he was painted as this modern day saint and he was a great guy. Don't get me wrong. But what I saw and what I read was, wow, he went through so much. He went through so much adversity to become the person that he was that that this point of view had developed. And that was the story that I wanted to write. And, you know, I'm I'm really proud of that book and I'm proud of uh, all the research that I did to try and get to know who he was. But I feel that there's always strength in uh, not knowing the person and not knowing the story. And I and I agree with that. And, and what we do and and your point of a biography versus a memoir is a great point. Uh, what we do is trying to tell the story is, of course, we're going to talk to individuals about what they their input. But also you can use that input uh, exponentially to know to know the whole story. So so if you look at it from just one person's point of view in a memoir, that is a point of view if that person is being honest or that kind of thing. But if you. There's and I'll say this that and I'm sure you've done this. Uh, you've been around a lot longer than we have, so I know you have. There's some people you talk to that I don't use anything they say because I don't believe any of it, or it's contradictory to somebody that I do trust what they say. So there's there's you have to kind of choose 
if in a memoir uh, version like you did with Greg McDonald, you go with what Greg said because it's his story. Right. But when you're doing a, an overall biography, if you will, that's a, an exponential look from all these different people. But s- sadly, some people have a, 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 a alternative idea or have an, there's some underlying thing that they're trying to do. You know, so how do you how do you wade through that? Well, you know, even as a reporter, I have made my reputation on quoting everybody. So um, I specifically covered uh, a council, uh, a city council. And what I would do is I would quote every all seven members of the city council so that nobody got left out. And then it was up to everybody else to decide, formulate their opinion on this matter. Mm. So. That's what I, this is the same thing I do with biographies. So somebody says something, I don't necessarily discount what they say. I put it in there so that they have their point of view. And then it's really up to the reader to decide um, their formulation of, of this human being. So, for example, I did a book, several books on the actor Steve McQueen, very complex human being. Um, he, um, he could treat studio heads, uh, he, he would just eviscerate them. Uh, but he was really good to old people and kids and was very paranoid and distrusting. Uh, but you got him around a kid or a dog or an animal and he'd melt. So people are complex. Um, the, the world is not in black and white. It's definitely shades of gray. And, uh, you know, you just have to uh, be able to find a way to chisel that picture to where people will get the full 360 effect. That's, that's interesting. Well, you know, uh, to the Elvis and Colonel book, when you were um, doing all doing your research with the the Colonel story and, and stuff, what what is stuff that stood out to you, Marshall? Like, what is you know stuff that you learned about Colonel Parker? Well, um, well, first of all, I want to say that we had a lot of um, documents to work with, and I, I I place a lot of emphasis on documents, letters, um, contracts. So, um, you know, that really formulates the, the basis. But uh, specifically about Colonel Parker, I loved how his mind worked. I loved how he could see things uh, from a different viewpoint and work it. And I say work it to his angle, but, but actually work it to Elvis's angle. Um, but, you know, even, um, you know, as, as a kid, you know, you could see his mind work in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great story um, about... Um, uh, his aunts coming to visit him. He was a young kid and he had curly hair and his aunts would come and fuss and touch him. And he didn't like being touched. So he went to the other room and cut off all of his hair. And he said, there, there will be no more fussing about my hair anymore. (laughs) (laughs) He he had a way of getting right to the heart of the matter. Um, And the Dutch are are very much like that. Uh, They're very, they're very upfront. Um, and the, but they're also very private people. Uh, so that's what I learned about the colonel, too, because when he executed a lot of his stuff uh, with Elvis, you know, it was done in private. You know, everybody likes to comment about their business. The only two people who knew their business was Elvis and the colonel. And they they did a great job of keeping it private. So, you know, I hear all these comments from the peanut gallery, from, from some of the Memphis Mafia members Oh, you know, Colonel should have done this. Colonel should have done that. You know, he kept him in the movies too long. You know, if I were managing him, I would have, you know, he he ran him into the ground with touring. 
but but they really don't know the true story. It's mm -hmm. just their opinion. But you know these letters and the contracts, everything that that tells a different story. And some of the letters from Elvis to 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 Vernon say, "Yes, I want you to 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 book me these book me on these tours." And so it wasn't the colonel run, running his his one and only client into the ground. It was Elvis telling him, "I need money and I need to go out on the road." That was something that, that um, stood out to me and, uh, and from Greg in your uh, book there about how the colonel at some point realized for Elvis to to stay healthy and, and to be motivated, colonel had to give him some kind of show to motivate him. And then that is why we have the Aloha from Hawaii show, right. because he needed some kind of motivation to to snap. To, to to take care of himself at that something point to look forward to i thought that was i thought that was something that's a positive for colonel parker in my opinion that fans need to know about that the colonel actually was like you know this is the only way i can get this guy to to straighten up yeah well and just the, the idea of um he he listens he listens to this broadcast coming from china and on the drive back he says to greg i wonder how i can use that technology to benefit elvis and, um, you know, the, the fact that he was thinking about Elvis 24-7, people just, uh, I, I think that they don't appreciate that. I, um, I was friends with the late Dick Wagner, and he, Dick was a guitarist for Kiss and for um, Alice Cooper. And at the end of his life, he had this manager um, named Susan Michelson, and uh he talked about how he had, he, he had finally had the manager he'd always wanted. I said, well, what makes her different? And he goes, I'll never forget these words. He goes, she thinks about promoting me 24 <laughs> seven. And that's exactly what Colonel Parker did for Elvis. And that's why, you know, again, I'm reading a lot of the fan comments. Uh, you know, he should have never gotten 25%. The standard is 10 to 15%. Well, yes, that's true. But if this is what, if, 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 Colonel Parker could prove to Elvis that he was worth that 25%, then that's what these men negotiated on. And that's what they agreed upon. And um, I'll tell you this as, as an author, it, uh, my agent gets 15%. But if my agent did my um, publicity and promotion and did all the things that Colonel Parker did, you better believe I'd give him 25% because he would be worth it. My, so, agent, my agent gets 20% as an actor. So, yeah, that exclusivity and, and promoting Elvis was no dummy. I mean, the, he knew that if Colonel Parker were spending all of his days and hours just working to promote him, I mean, then he was in good hands. But the fans would have you believe or, or they pretend like Elvis was just a puppet. Elvis was not a puppet at all. Elvis did only what Elvis wanted to do. That's correct. Yeah. At and, all times. Yeah. And the colonel had to learn that as well. He had to to learn to maneuver Elvis being Elvis. And right. that was that was uh some treacherous warriors. Yeah. And, and, and you had to give him a project. And, yeah, and, and you know, here's the thing. All the colonel did was bring to him opportunity, and Elvis decided whether or not he wanted to do it or not. It's mm. the same in the in during the movie years, you know, he you know, he, he could have easily gone to, to touring, but you know, Colonel said to him, Well, you're gonna have to compete with the Beetle Boys. And he was right. He would have had to. So I guess my hypothetical question to you guys is, 
let's say Elvis decides he's going to tour again in 1964-65 when the Beatles did come out. How would he have fared? What kind of venues would he have played? Would he have sold out? That's the question. Sold out meaning would would have all the, t- the tickets have been sold out? I don't think so. Mm-mm. It was a different era. You know, he had to reinvent himself. The right. 50s Elvis was not going to work in 64, 65. I think by 64, 65, those young fans have now gotten older and working and doing things where they, they pro- probably could not have been at his shows all the time. Right. Uh, as they could have as teenagers and, and things like that. So that's a good question, Marshall. Yeah. I mean, you- these are the things I, I think about when I see the comments. Um, oh, you know, he should have had him do this. He should. But, you know, the movie years, uh, he had him exactly where he should have been. He was mm-hmm. making the maximum amount of money. He was doing three movies. He was doing three movies a year. But if you, you know, if you think about it, I mean, that's a great way to live. I mean, you you do those movies and then you're off for a couple months uh, in between and you don't have to do anything else. And the public is not seeing you all the time. So you're not overexposed. So, um you know, he, he was doing he was doing what he should have been doing. And then Colonel waited for the great opportunity to where uh, Las Vegas came calling. And again, now a third reinvention of Elvis. Mm-hmm. Well, the singer special was a genius move on the Colonel's part. And that it reinvented Elvis. And then he reinvented himself again, like within just two years. But you the know. singer special if you, led to. Las Vegas. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this, uh, uh, Marshall. Did the Colonel um, uh, wear his Christmas sweaters for the uh, comeback special? <laughs> I just had to ask. But I, don't know. <laughs> I love that aspect of it. What? Here's what Greg told me. The singer special was originally uh, uh, conceived as a um, Christmas holiday special. So... Um, I think the Colonel was worried that there wasn't a Christmas song in there. Um, and contractually, he was really, really afraid of what might have happened uh, had they not done uh, at least one sort of holiday song. And here's the other thing. I was thinking about this today. Don't forget the success of the Christmas album in, in was it, 71? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, now we're talking 20 million copies of that sold. So... Um, the Colonel knew what he was doing in terms of that. Now, uh, artistically, maybe it got di- shaped differently, but I, I know that had it not been a success, Greg says that, you know, uh, Elvis possibly could have been sued because, you know, it, he didn't really deliver a Christmas special, but he was lucky that it had such a great, uh, I think it was what, was it a 42.5 share that evening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was pretty mind blowing. Yeah, but it's mind blowing for me for people to think that the Colonel was wanting that whole show to be a Christmas show when uh, we have knowledge of people inside the audience that day that said the Colonel was all over that show uh, when Elvis was singing all of his hit songs and stuff. So if the Colonel was all over that part, then that means the Colonel was in control and knew exactly what was going on. Right, Billy? Mm -hmm. You know how they're trying to make it out to be like Colonel had no control of that show? Well, they made him look like a blithering idiot, and he was just there, and that was not that was not factual at all. There's no way that that happened to Colonel no. Parker. There's no. no way, right? What do you think, Marshall? Well, the the, the agreement that Elvis and the Colonel had was uh, El, uh, the Colonel was not going to touch any of Elvis's artistic endeavors. He was strictly handling the business, and Elvis 
was handling the artistry. And so I don't have firsthand knowledge of the 68 special, but that's how I, I would assume it went. And that's and what he's uh, I think what what you're saying, Marshall, is that Elvis was guiding and determining along with um, Steve Bender. They were determining the songs. Well, all of a sudden, the colonel realized, wait a minute, y'all are not doing any Christmas songs. We're supposed to deliver a Christmas special. So right. I can't, you know, yeah, I, I see where you're going with that. Yeah. So so they almost uh, Boz almost made it appear that the colonel was trying to get involved in the creative aspect of it when that was not factual. The colonel had a contract said, you know, we need a show. We need a Christmas show. You guys make it. And then realized what they were making was not going to live up to his contractual uh, obligations. So that's where the colonel had to step in and go, hey, guys, we got to we got to fix this. Right. Exactly. I mean, you, we, we could do an entire show on on that movie and, and what it got right and what it got wrong. And, and we I'll might be able to do 10 shows on that, Mark. I'll bet you it's it's at least 50-50. That's, that's my estimation. <laughs> I think it's worse than that. We we say 80-20. 80-20. Yeah, 20 accurate, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about, uh, since we're going uh, in that direction, let's talk about, in the book, you talk about when the catalog was sold. Everybody right. blames the colonel for the catalog being sold. Right. Tell us what really happened, what Greg says happened. Well, he, he said Elvis needed the cash, and and you know that's that's a running theme through the book is that he needed money um, to uh, settle with Priscilla. Um, the smart thing would have been, you know, let, let's say you know she 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 brought in a new lawyer and wanted more and got more, and Elvis didn't want to fight in public. He didn't want to come off looking cheap. I mean, let's look what happened right now to to Kevin Costner and his recent divorce. Um, even though she signed a prenuptial, she she kind of dragged him into the dirt, and 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 it didn't look good for either party. So Elvis wanted to avoid that situation, and he just wanted to get her paid off quickly and be done with it. What he should have done really was payments, uh, but he wanted to pay her off right then and there. And so he he thought uh, that, that you know selling that catalog, and I, and they had been pressuring Elvis to do that for many many years, and. Colonel had warned him that Elvis, that's your annuity because it brought in about five hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm. And Back now then, they're bringing in gazillions. Yeah, yeah but five hundred thousand dollars a year back in the seventies, that had to at least have been probably what five million a year now, at least. Yeah, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, um, Greg says that uh, Elvis wanted to it had Vernon on that. And um, and he only brought in the colonel at the last second because the negotiations weren't going the way that he wanted them to go. So Colonel Parker tried to talk him out of it. And uh, Greg says that he was in the, he, he was in the room listening to all this going on. Uh, and Tom Diskin was in the in, in the room with him. And he said it was the only time that he ever saw Tom Diskin shaking his head like this. Like, I can't believe Elvis is doing that. Such a mistake. And anyway, so he asked Elvis to, I'm sorry, he asked Colonel Parker to negotiate the contract with him. And Colonel Parker tried to talk him out of it. And he said, well, look, I'll just go get Ed, Ed Hookstratton to negotiate for me if you don't. So anyway, that's that's the other thing. There's this misconception that Elvis was was just, didn't have any representation in, in any of these contracts. And Greg points out he had a whole slew of lawyers uh 
at uh, William Morris Agency if he wanted it. Mm-hmm. He had Ed, Ed Hook Stratton. You know, he he had he had he had the financial wherewithal to go to any attorney he wanted to to look at, over the contract and and, the uh, the and maybe ones. and maybe he didn't. Uh, but that that's on him. That's not on anyone else but Elvis. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, uh, so the colonel negotiated that contract, uh, which was uh, very very short sighted, um, and so uh, that is how RCA ended up ended up getting uh, Elvis's master recordings. But that the blame always goes to Colonel Parker for making that sale. I think I think uh, Blanchard Tuol had made that accusation in his uh, uh, ad litem report. So I, you know, he obviously that was wrong according to Greg. And what he's talking about is when they were going to sue the Colonel, and they were trying to get him out of everything. They made that accusation that the colonel made that mistake, which was not factual, as as you mentioned at all. Correct, and and and, and you know the the accusation of millions of dollars in debt to casinos. Well, if if that were true, or and double dealing with RCA, if all those things were true, I would have assumed that he would that he would have been taken to court, you know, by the Presley family and or anyone else, or he just you know he would have gone up in front of a court, but none of that ever happened. But those mm-hmm. were the accusations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was um, uh, comped all the, the gambling and stuff that he did at the Hilton. Now, did he gamble? Of course he gambled there. They wanted him down there gambling. It was good for business. You yep. got Elvis's manager down here gambling, and which makes other people come here to gamble because it's, it's the cool thing. And they comped the colonel. How long did he live there on the fourth floor at the Hilton? Are you talking about after uh, Elvis? Yeah, after Elvis. Elvis. Yeah. Well, let's see. I'm not sure how long he lived in the Hilton, but he, you know, he lived in a property pretty close to it. Yeah. Um, so he moved. I think, I think he moved like in the late '80s, early. He, he moved after his wife Marie passed. I, mm-hmm. Okay, Marie passed in '86. So he moved shortly thereafter to Vegas, and then of course he lived until until 1997. But the interesting thing that, that that Greg talked about, he he um, Greg bumped into Baron Hilton one time. And he he said he asked him. He said, "Is it true about the the Colonel's debts?" He said, "Colonel Parker didn't gamble away anything that he couldn't pay." He goes, "There's a lot of guys that come in here that will lose a car and lose a house." He goes, "Colonel Parker only only bet on what he could afford to lose." And he said, and he, he said, "Well, what about all these gambling debts? You know that he's servicing Elvis's contract." And he and Baron laughed and said, "Elvis's dad demanded that uh, Elvis get paid right up front before he stepped foot in Vegas." He goes, "So that wipes that notion away, <laughs> because again, always in need of money." And and that comes from a Hilton himself, from yeah, from Baron Hilton to to Greg to Greg McDonald. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow! And that need for money too was because of all these people that were hangers on. And I hate to use the word hangers on because a lot of people use that. I mean, Elvis clearly wanted a lot of these Memphis mafia guys and their families there. But at the same time, a lot of them literally did nothing for their money. They were just there. Well, I don't want to bag on this thing to the table. I don't want to bag on those guys, but uh, financially speaking from 56, I think to 64, um, he was getting taxed, I think, 90%. Mm-hmm. 
And there was legislation passed in 64 to where he was getting a little bit more money. So it was a combination of things. So it was com a combination of his taxes, the fact that he wasn't very sophisticated about uh, putting them in investments. Uh, Colonel tried to guide him in that. And Elvis told him, you worry about the money coming in. I'll worry about it going out. So and then he and then Elvis turned around and, and placed his dad in charge of his finances, um, you know, who had an eighth grade education. And, and I do feel for Vernon because he was so worried all the time about the, the spending. So there was not only the, you know, he didn't pay those guys. Uh, he didn't pay the Memphis Mafia guys that much money. They, you know, he, they got the perks, uh, but they didn't get that much money. But, you know, he went on those spending sprees. He, he bought the Circle G Ranch. And then, of course, he bought the trailer. And then, of course, he bought uh, uh, the trucks that had to go along with it. So that's where he got into trouble. You know, it's just constant spending and, and the, ma the maintenance of Graceland, um, you know, it's, you know, the, the, your money just doesn't go that far when you when you live that kind of lifestyle. Well, he bought the, them houses. He bought them cars. Yes. He bought a lot of cars, a lot of houses. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think didn't they say it was 70 Cadillacs in his lifetime? It, I would say it's at least that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, and the sad part about it is it don't seem like any of the people that kept their cars. Yeah. If, if if one if if one of the Memphis Mafia members decided, you know what, I'm keeping every single thing that Elvis gave me until 2023, they'd all be millionaires, multi-millionaires. I know I would be. Yeah. If I was a yeah. Memphis. Nobody nobody thought of those terms. Again, going back to the Beatles, I know a lot of the Beatles people. They didn't keep their stuff. They didn't think that that stuff would be worth anything, 40, 50 years down the line. Man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, they literally traded their cars in. Yeah, you know, it's that's just crazy to think. Part of Elvis gave you. I think uh, Bill Morris told us. Bill still has his TCB, by the way, that Elvis gave him. He kept he kept those kinds of things that Elvis gave him. But the Mercedes that Elvis gave him, he sold. And what did he tell us? Didn't he tell us he sold it for like fourteen thousand, and it recently sold for four hundred thousand? Well, I think so. Yeah, and he told us that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was the numbers that he told us. It was it was somewhere along in there. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit, Marshall, about um, the lawsuit after uh, Elvis died with Colonel Parker and in in the state. Now, you told you in the book you said that the colonel received a call from Vernon in '78. Is that correct? Well, uh, the lawsuits you're talking about. Well, the, the, let's the, go uh, back before the lawsuit. He's. I think what Trey's alluding to is uh, he called the colonel to save Graceland. Right. So let's go back that far. Well, um, okay. Well, I, I don't even know if he even had to call Colonel to, to, uh, to save Graceland because that, that would have been an, an inherent part of what um, uh, the Colonel would have done for Elvis. I mean, he when Elvis passed away, uh, Colonel uh, set aside, I think, 120, 60 uh, trademarks um, so that uh, when the, we, he knew that a flood – of memorabilia was going to hit the market. Um, and he, he uh, so Colonel Parker wanted to make sure that the family was going to receive, you know, royalty and all those things. Same thing with the, with the records. He wanted to make sure that the record plants were, there was one record plant in England that was about to uh, uh, be disposed of. And he said, keep that plant open. And they did nothing 24 seven, but print Elvis albums. Um, so, so th those were the things that were happening to uh, to, to try and save Graceland. Um, well, 
uh, didn't uh, did Vernon call Colonel at some point there in the late seventies? I feel like I, I I read that. I don't remember that being in our book. I mean, it's it's quite possible. Um, but you know, again, um, when when L was passed, uh, the, the colonel put into place all these different deals, um, and then of course a year later, um, the checkbook went from one million, I think, to five million dollars. Uh, so that's possibly what what would have saved Graceland. But uh, I the but it, you know Vernon and El and, and the colonel had a very good relationship. That's the guy that that uh, Colonel would go to whenever there was an issue. A lot of a lot of letters uh, from Colonel to Vernon when Elvis was in trouble with drugs, uh, saying, "Hey, look, here's this thing is starting to go downhill, and uh, you know I'm I'm just letting you know, and maybe you can reach Elvis somehow." And you've seen Elvis, those let you you see those letters. You've seen those yes, I've seen those letters. And, you know, initially they were all going to be in the book, but then. There's a copyright issue with them, so um, we uh, we paraphrase what's in those letters, and then then you'll see a little quote here and there from the actual letter. Well, what I liked about your book also is y'all you kind of like showed uh, money how like how uh, the Colonel and Elvis was paid on, during their concerts. Yeah, uh, I really like seeing those figures, uh, Marshall. It, it well, and 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 that that brings up an interesting point. Um, people talking about. Um, the colonel taking 50%. The, again, we went over this in, in our, our initial interview, how there were separate pots of money. The colonel took 25% on recording, 25% um, on movie contracts. Um, and and with the touring, it was a 50-50 split, but it was a joint venture uh, contract. It was a, and, and a lot of acts do that these days. And the reason why they did the joint venture was because uh, better taxes um, and creatively, the concert promoter. Never... Thank you very much. I'm three sorry, minutes. Marshall. That and, means and we who, got three minutes. Okay. So and, and whoever and whoever it was. So it was basically the promoter was working from their contract, and so and then and then when they went on tour, all of Elvis's expenses were taken right off the top. That was all of his jet fuel. And everything. So they then they split everything 50-50 after that. But Colonel Parker had this team of people under him that he had to pay. And then Elvis just got 50% uh, right off the top. You know, so um, when they say Elvis uh, or Colonel got 50%, yes, it was during that one pot of money. But the, the touring required more people uh, and, 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 and more of a percentage. But everything else was pretty much 25%. And the way I've always said that particular thing that you're talking about, Marshall, is if Elvis got 50%, the Colonel got 50%, everybody else worked for free? <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't. So it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to where, and I, I'm sorry, I kind of threw you off of that. Uh, Trey and I both thought that in the book uh, that there was a call from Vernon to the Colonel to save Graceland, but evidently he's he's confusing that anyway let's go to in the in the movie at the end of the movie they they allude to the colonel getting the way they allude to it is they make out like the colonel was sued and lost that's not really what happened the colonel was sued and they had to pay him two million dollars right. what really happened so tell us about that well um 
there, there were there were there were there were lawsuits and then and and counter lawsuits going back and forth. And the way that I think it was arranged was, uh, EPE would pay Colonel Parker two million dollars essentially to go away, and RCA would then in turn pay E or, yeah reimburse EPE. So so you know as you know RCA is going to be end up being the winner, um, and so so he. He didn't. He didn't lose any money. He, he actually went away with two million dollars. And then a few years later, I think a, a couple of decades later, uh, EPE uh, ended up buying uh, a lot of the memorabilia that Colonel had as well. And they got a smoking deal for it. I mean, the stuff that that the, the, the what they got. I mean, I think they got like six trucks filled with memorabilia, records, contracts, all that stuff. That gold lamay suit. That's right. The gold lamay suit, which in and of itself would probably what sell for ten million today. I think yeah. that deal netted Colonel Parker two million dollars. Uh, but yeah, he didn't. Yeah, he Colonel Parker countersued and he didn't lose. Let's put it that way. He won. Yeah, because he didn't do anything wrong. No, and he as a matter of fact, mm -hmm. Elvis Presley Enterprises did not want to sue him. It was it was the court forcing EPE to sever the relationship with Colonel Parker. That's right. Yeah. And that was that guy that you were talking about earlier that made that allegation right. that the Colonel had, had sold the catalog and shouldn't have. Right. And, and the, the ironic thing is in the book, um, you know, uh, Tuol was, was paid something like $115,000 for his work, which was the equivalent of about $500,000 today. And here he is. Uh, blaming um, Colonel Parker for for taking you know all this money, but his report was not free. Let's put it that way. Yeah, unbelievable. So guys, you can get this where I know they can buy it on Amazon. I bought this one on Amazon. Where else can they get it, Marshall? Well, wherever new books are sold, uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, I is books a million still around? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they are, but they're disappearing quickly. Yeah, you know, Barnes and Noble is really the only big bookstore that I know of that's still around, other than independent bookstores. But Amazon is really where I push people to go. Yeah. yeah. You know, and a lot of people, Marshall, have asked me, I think I asked you the other day, they want your autograph and on these books, you know. So mm -hmm. is that a way that they could do as well? I mean, how would they get your signature? I know it would cost a little extra, right? Yeah. Um why don't they uh why don't they make arrangements uh either through you if they really want it that bad, uh you then then you can give them my address and then I'll sign it, but tell them to include money for postage. Okay. And then we can do it that way. You guys, you heard it from Marshall himself. There you go. You gotta just uh get with glow riding with Trey. Let me know. That's it. But Marshall, man, like I want to tell guys, I, I've read I read this book in three days, I believe, three or four days. And I was I, I went away uh, seeing Colonel in a different light. Um, now, I've always been a type where I, I wanted to give the, the Colonel his due where I believe he deserved it. I, I believe the Colonel made Elvis into a superstar. He gave Elvis opportunities. I would love opportunities like that. I mean, Elvis is on national television in 56 and the rest is history. We're talking about the guy today, but Colonel made a lot of great deals. And I just love a lot of the stories that Greg mentions that Greg actually experienced and actually heard from Colonel himself while riding uh, or driving Colonel from Los Angeles to Palm Springs and, and back and forth. And Colonel is actually sharing 
stories about his young life with Greg, man. I'm, that would be so cool to have been able to just talk with Colonel Parker in a one-on-one situation like that, where he was confiding in you stories of his life growing up, man. And so f- fans read this book with an open mind. And I'm telling you, you want to, this is a good Christmas present for 2023, whenever you're watching this episode, right? Spy guy. It is. It's uh, amazing. And, and thank you for doing the book and, yeah. and trying to set the record straight. We believe we don't want to be wigwam. We believe that history is important and the accuracy of history is important. And I wanted to point out one more thing. This book is not just Greg's version of the story. It's documents, letters. It's all these other things, which took a lot of time to put together. And And, research. And research. That's right. Nothing better than that. Thank you, Marshall. Thank you so much, Marshall. We appreciate you, my friend. My pleasure. Yes, sir.